episode 37. Just because they're not very pretty, it doesn't mean they're not useful, Hermione snapped. Dragon's blood's amazingly magical, but you wouldn't want a dragon for a pet, would you? Harry and Ron grinned at Hagrid, who gave them a furtive smile from behind his bushy beard. Hagrid would have liked nothing better than a pet dragon, as Harry, Ron, and Hermione knew only too well. He had owned one for a brief period during their first year, a vicious Norwegian ridgeback by the name of Norbert. Hagrid simply loved monstrous creatures. The more lethal, the better. Well, at least the scroots is small, said Ron, as they made their way back up to the castle for lunch an hour later. They are now, said Hermione, in an exasperated voice. But once Hagrid's found out what they eat, I expect they'll be six feet long. Well, that won't matter if they turn out to cure seasickness or something, will it? said Ron, grinning slyly at her. You know perfectly well I only said that to shut Malfoy up said Hermione. As a matter of fact, I think he's right. The best thing to do would be to stamp on the lot of them before they start attacking us all. They sat down at the Gryffindor table and helped themselves to lamb chops and potatoes. Hermione began to eat so fast that Harry and Ron stared at her. Uh, is this a new stand on else rights? said Ron. You're going to make yourself puke instead? No said Hermione, with as much dignity as she could muster with her mouth bulging with sprout. I just want to get to the library. What? said Ron in disbelief. Hermione, it's the first day back. We haven't even got homework yet. Hermione shrugged and continued to shovel down her food as though she had not eaten for days. Then she leapt to her feet, said, See you at dinner, and departed at high speed. When the bell rang to signal the start of afternoon lessons, Harry and Ron set off for North Tower, where at the top of a tightly spiraling staircase, a silver stepladder led to a circular trapdoor in the ceiling and the room where Professor Trelawney lived. The familiar sweet perfume emanating from the fire met their nostrils as they emerged at the top of the stepladder. As ever, the curtains were closed. The circular room was bathed in a dim, reddish light cast by the many lamps, which were all draped with scarves and shawls. Harry and Ron walked through the mass of occupied chintz chairs and poofs that cluttered the room and sat down at the same small circular table. "'Good day,' said the misty voice of Professor Trelawney, right behind Harry, making him jump. A very thin woman with enormous glasses that made her eyes appear far too large for her face. Professor Trelawney was peering down at Harry with the tragic expression she always wore when she saw him. The usual large amount of beads, chains, and bangles glittered upon her person in the firelight. You are preoccupied, my dear, she said mournfully to Harry. My inner eye sees past your brave face to the troubled soul within, and I regret to say that your worries are not baseless. 
I see difficult times ahead for you. Alas, most difficult. I fear the thing you dread will indeed come to pass, and perhaps sooner than you think. Her voice dropped almost to a whisper. Ron rolled his eyes at Harry, who looked stonily back. Professor Trelawney swept past them and seated herself in a large, winged armchair before the fire, facing the glass. Lavender Brown and Parvati Patil, who deeply admired Professor Trelawney, were sitting on poofs very close to her. My dears, it is time for us to consider the stars, she said, the movements of the planets and the mysterious portents they reveal only to those who understand the steps of the celestial dance. Human destiny may be deciphered by the planetary rays which intermingle. But Harry's thoughts had drifted. The perfumed fire always made him feel sleepy and dull-witted and Professor Trelawney's rambling talks on fortune-telling never held him exactly spellbound. Though he couldn't help thinking about what she had just said to him, I fear the thing you dread will indeed come to pass. But Hermione was right, Harry thought irritably. Professor Trelawney really was an old fraud. He wasn't dreading anything at the moment at all. Well, unless you counted his fears that Sirius had been caught. But what did Professor Trelawney know? He had long since come to the conclusion that her brand of fortune-telling was really no more than lucky guesswork and a spooky manner. Except, of course, for that time at the end of last term when she had made the prediction about Voldemort rising again. And Dumbledore himself had said that he thought that trance had been genuine when Harry had described it to him. Harry! Ron muttered. What? Harry looked around. The whole class was staring at him. He sat up straight. He had been almost dozing off, lost in the heat and his thoughts. I was saying, my dear, that you were clearly born under the baleful influence of Saturn, said Professor Trelawney, a faint note of resentment in her voice at the fact that he had obviously not been hanging on her words. Born under... what? Sorry? said Harry. Saturn, dear, the planet. Saturn, said Professor Trelawney, sounding definitely irritated that he wasn't riveted by this news. I was saying that Saturn was surely in a position of power in the heavens at the moment of your birth. Your dark hair, your mean stature, tragic losses so young in life, I think I am right in saying, my dear, that you were born in midwinter. No, said Harry, I was born in July. Ron hastily turned his laugh into a hacking cough. Half an hour later, each of them had been given a complicated circular chart and was attempting to fill in the position of the planets at the moment of their birth. It was dull work requiring much consultation of timetables and calculation of angles. I've got two Neptunes here, said Harry after a while, frowning down at his piece of parchment. That can't be right, can it? Ah, said Ron, 
imitating Professor Trelawney's mystical whisper. When two Neptunes appear in the sky, it is a sure sign that a midget in glasses is being born, Harry. Seamus and Dean, who were working nearby, sniggered loudly, though not loudly enough to mask the excited squeals from Lavender Brown. Oh, Professor, look, I think I've got an unaspected planet. Oh, which one's that, Professor? It is Uranus, my dear, said Professor Trelawney, peering down at the chart. Can I have a look at Uranus too, Lavender, said Ron. Most unfortunately, Professor Trelawney heard him. And it was this, perhaps, which made her give them so much homework at the end of the class. A detailed analysis of the way the planetary movements in the coming month will affect you, with reference to your personal chart, she snapped, sounding much more like Professor McGonagall than her usual airy-fairy self. I want it ready to hand in next Monday. No excuses. Miserable old bat, said Ron bitterly, as they joined the crowds descending the staircases back to the Great Hall and dinner. That'll take all weekend, that will. Lots of homework, said Hermione brightly, catching up with them. Professor Vector didn't give us any at all. Well, bully for Professor Vector, said Ron moodily. They reached the entrance hall, which was packed with people queuing for dinner. They had just joined the end of the line when a loud voice rang out behind them. Wesley, hi, Wesley. Harry, Ron, and Hermione turned. Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle were standing there, each looking thoroughly pleased about something. 